I know. 
it so I come every battle Cause I know that's where you'll be I count it so I come every battle Cause I know that's where you'll be I count it so I come every battle Cause I know that's where you'll be Hey, good morning, everybody. Welcome to church. Hey, uh... It's an exciting morning, especially for you parents, because children's ministry has returned. Woo! So uh, uh, for those of you who are parents, hopefully Lori had a chance to check in with you all as you were walking in. But uh, after we do some singing, um, the kids will be going out those double doors. There will be a sign up on, the, up on the screen that you'll be able to follow. But rejoice and celebrate, children and parents alike. Kids' ministry is back. Um, as we uh, prepare for worship, let's take a couple moments and let's just settle ourselves into this moment. Let's uh, maybe close your eyes, maybe put your palms up in a receiving manner. Try to slow down your breathing. Try to remember what it is that we're coming here to do. Not just to receive, although we will receive, but to engage and to participate in worship as we praise our Savior. So let's just take a couple seconds here and settle into it. You stand and sing with us. I know you make a way And I don't always understand I don't always get to see But I will believe it I will believe it Cause you make mountains move You make giants fall And you use songs of praise To shape prison walls and I will speak to my fear. I will preach to my doubt that you were faithful then. You'll be faithful now. And I am standing on your word. And do you 
God is faithful, worthy to be praised. pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we are so thankful for the opportunity to approach your throne this morning. Thank you for being our peace, our rest, our salvation. We reflect on the words of your prophet from Isaiah 55. Seek the Lord while you can find him. Call on him now while he is near. Let the wicked change their ways and banish the very thought of doing wrong. Let them turn to the Lord that he may have mercy on them. Yes, turn to our God, for he will forgive generously. 
My thoughts are nothing like your thoughts, says the Lord, and my ways are far beyond anything you could imagine. For just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. God, thank you for being sovereign. Thank you for being in control when we feel out of control. Thank you for being our refuge when we have nothing else to lean on. Thank you for being our father and for letting us be your children. This morning, Father, let us focus on you. Let us take, let, it, let our lives be moved closer to what you intended for them. Take our selfishness and give us compassion. Take our ego and give us humility. Take our judgmental attitudes and give us empathy. Take our fear and give us love. Draw our hearts closer to yours. Let us rest in the comfort of your embrace and trust in the assurance you have for us that your plans are trustworthy, that you are deeply good, and that you are the only one we need. Father, we give you thanks for successful surgery for both Deb Woodwick and Barb Pohl. Be with Deb as she recovers at home and with Barb as she hopes to return home today. We give you thanks that our youth groups have begun meeting again and that our children's classes resume today. Thank you for those devoted to the tremendous work that has gone into preparations, and we pray for continued health and safety for all involved. We pray that all these efforts are for your glory as our younger generations grow strong bonds with each other and grow closer to you. Father, be with Pastor Aaron as he brings us your word today. Thank you for ears to listen. Speak to us as we seek you this morning. Let your word dwell in our thoughts, speech, and actions. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, good morning. Everybody here, everybody at home, we're continuing uh, in our Daniel series uh, this fall, wondering, looking at where God is, especially in places uh, where life just doesn't seem to make sense. Life doesn't look the way we anticipated or expected. Uh, sometimes that life not looking the way it's supposed to causes me to look a little bit like Arnold and the different strokes. What you talking about, Willis? Right? Gary Coleman, he was classic for that face. You know, he could just give you that look, that sideways. If anybody looks at you sideways, this is what I think of, right? That look like, you weird. What you looking at? You know, what you thinking about? What you talking about? Right? And this morning as we engage Daniel 4, and the title of the message is this, God loved Nebuchadnezzar. I, I don't know about you, makes me kind of look like this. What are you, what are you talking about? God loved Nebuchadnezzar. In all my, in all my days, of, like, I grew up in Christian school, Sunday school. Nebuchadnezzar was the bad guy. So the fact that you're saying God loved Nebuchadnezzar this morning, that, that messes with my head. And uh, it is, though, for us part of our roadmap. Uh, we've been, if, if you've been following along, I've got two questions each week. The first question revolves around the tension we see in the text. Uh, that, that engages the tensions we see in our world. And, and this morning, again, that's, that's going to be the tension for us. It's, it's that thing that makes us go, what you talking about, Willis? <laughs> right? God loved Nebuchadnezzar. The second question, though, always revolves around the good news that we see in the text. And, and I'm going to say this morning that the good news is God loved Nebuchadnezzar. And you still may be looking at me sideways. <laughs> going, what are you talking about? Well, hopefully you'll be able to see where we're going as we engage Daniel 4. So if you will, turn with me to Daniel 4, and we'll start right away in, in the beginning of the chapter. We're not going to read all of the chapter, but we're going to read a lot of it. So hopefully there will be some markers along the way to help you. But Daniel 4, starting in verse 1. King Nebuchadnezzar, to the nations and people of every language who live in all the earth, may you prosper greatly. So Nebuchadnezzar is making a declaration to the whole world. He was the leader of the then known world. He goes, it is my pleasure to tell you about the miraculous signs and wonders that the most high God has performed for me. Wait a second. Huh? 
So Nebuchadnezzar is now making a declaration to the whole kingdom, this foreign leader, this, this leader that has taken God's people from their land, and he is now making declarations about how God has performed for him, the things that God has done for him. So wait, God, God loved you? God is for you? How great are his signs, Nebuchadnezzar says. How mighty his wonders. His kingdom is an eternal kingdom. His dominion endures from generation to generation. So wait, what you're saying, if we're, we're talking, you know, if me and Nebuchadnezzar are having a conversation, what you're saying is God was for you? Right, this whole title of the series, God is here too, question mark, exclamation, question. It gets a little confusing. Is, is it a statement of fact or is it a question? Is it a tension? Is it good news? Well, the tension, yeah. God was for you. You're, you're this neurotic king, right? Last we heard, you're a king who makes 95, nine-foot statues, right, to get people to, to worship and, and, and have your ideals live into your way. You're a guy who turns up the fire seven times hotter, isn't afraid to burn your own people in punishing others. You, you get caught in, in anger and rashness. You're, you're, you're just... You, you fly off the cuff, and, and you're telling me right now, and especially if I was an Israelite in the king, God, you're de- making declarations and praises to our God about our God, saying he, he did things for you? Well, guess what? This tension exists in Scripture as you see Matthew 5. What does Jesus say in the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount? As he's talking to the people, talking about the kingdom of God, but I tell you, Love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of the Father in heaven. Right, this is uncomfortable to do that. It would be uncomfortable to do this for Nebuchadnezzar. It may be uncomfortable for us. He causes, think, listen to this about who God is, he causes his son to rise on evil and the good. He sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. God is a God who gives his unmerited favor to people, whether we think they're people who deserve it or not. God loved Nebuchadnezzar. It's a tension for us. Well, in this chapter, God gives Nebuchadnezzar a second dream. If you've been following along in Daniel 2, he had a dream. This is about 32 years later. God gives him another dream. And we know when God's speaking to somebody, when he's speaking to us, he wants us to, to wake up to a reality. He wants us to know something. Next week, uh, we'll hear about God writing on the wall. But God's trying to get our attention. So let's listen to what this interpretation, this dream and interpretation are. Because he asks the wise men to come and tell him. And he, he again finds out they can't. So this time he goes again to Daniel. It's verse 18 of chapter 4. This is the dream that I, King Nebuchadnezzar, had. So not only is he telling this to, to Daniel, but he's, telling, he's recounting this story for the world to hear. Now, Belteshazzar, so Daniel, tell me what it means. For none of the wise men in my kingdom can interpret it for me, but you can. Because the spirit of the holy God, that God is in you. Right, in these 30 years, he's learned something. A, don't throw Daniel out, you know, don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. If your wise men can't figure it out, don't threaten to just chop their heads off and, you know, make, make the heads roll, right? Don't throw Daniel out. Actually call him in because you've learned to trust him. You know something's unique about him. You know that God, his God doesn't work like your God's. So tell me, you can tell me. Verse 19, then Daniel also called Belteshazzar was greatly perplexed for a time. His thoughts terrified him. So the king said, Belteshazzar, do not let the dream or its meaning alarm you. Belteshazzar answered, my lord, if only the dream applied to your enemies and its meaning to your adversaries. So something about this dream that we're going to hear, it, it, it alarms David or Daniel so much that he goes, man, I wish this has got to be for your enemies. He has enough compassion towards Nebuchadnezzar to not go, yeah, that's right, this is going to, we're talking about your downfall. No, I hope and pray this is for your enemies. But verse 20 we hear, the tree you saw which grew large and strong 
with its top touching the sky, visible to the whole earth, with beautiful leaves, abundant fruit, providing food for all, giving shelter to the wild animals and having nesting places in its branch for the birds. Your majesty, you're that tree. The vision starts with this great grand tree. You're that tree. You've become great and strong. Your greatness has grown until it reaches the sky and your dominion extends to distant parts of the earth. This is the reality. Your majesty saw a holy one, though, a messenger coming down from heaven and saying, cut down the tree and destroy it. So can you understand why Nebuchadnezzar is a little disturbed? Can you understand why Daniel might be saying, man, I I hope this is for your enemies and not for you. But the messenger says, cut down the tree and destroy it. But leave this stump bound with iron and bronze in the grass of the field while its roots remain in the ground. Let him be drenched with the dew of heaven. Let him live with the wild animals until seven times pass by for him. This is the interpretation, your majesty. And this is the decree that the Most High has issued against my Lord, the King. You will be driven away from people and will live with the wild animals. You will eat grass like the ox and be drenched with the dew of heaven. Seven times will pass by for you until you acknowledge. Right? This is, this is where he's, until you acknowledge that the Most High is sovereign over all kingdoms on earth and gives them to anyone he wishes. Right? He's saying, I, I want you to realize this. God, God's speaking to him. Daniel's helping him see that God wants him to turn his eyes towards heaven, towards the king of the world, not towards himself. To his own greatness, but to see the greatness of the one who has gifted him with that very kingdom in which he stands. Right Until you acknowledge the Most High. Verse 26, the command to leave the stump of the tree with its root means that your kingdom will be restored to you when you acknowledge that heaven rules. Therefore, your majesty, be pleased to accept my advice. Renounce your sins by doing what is right. Right? Repent. Change. Renounce your sins by doing what is right and your wickedness by being kind to the oppressed. It may be that then your prosperity will continue. All this happened to King Nebuchadnezzar. Wants him to acknowledge God, to repent, to change. So wait a second. Then if there's this tension, right? God loved Nebuchadnezzar. God would give him this vision. You're saying that God was giving him, Nebuchadnezzar, the one who kind of is an affront to God, this neurotic king, this rash king, this, this king who can't keep his, his, his self under control, isn't afraid to annihilate people, cultures, communities. You're saying that God was giving him a chance to repent, to change? We're reminded of these words in 1 Timothy, right? This is the tension. I urge then, first of all, that petitions, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for all people. Not some people, all people. For kings and all those in authority that we may live, what? Peacefully and quiet lives and all godliness and holiness. Pray for our leaders, even though we may not like them. There's a call to pray for them. Why? This is good. It pleases God, our Savior, who what? Wants all people to be saved. Not some people. What's the heart of God? God God extends his unmerited favor and his mercy to whomever he chooses. But he also desires, why does he show that mercy and favor? So So that what? All people would be saved. God loves all of his creation, not just some of it. God wants all of his creation to come back to him. Why would he want us to pray for our leaders, whether we like them or not? Because those leaders are his creation as much as we are. Makes me uncomfortable. Put some tension in my world. Some tension in ours. Why? Because he wants all people to come to a knowledge of the truth. Just like when we started this whole series, Jeremiah 29, 11, right? God says, I know the plans I have for you. But before we get to that great classic verse, what did he say? say, Pray for the peace in this land because if it goes well for this land, it will go well for you. That God loved Nebuchadnezzar. But it reminds me that God 
loved Nebuchadnezzar. Because he loved all people. He loves all people. He desires that all people are saved. So yes, God gave him a chance to repent and to change. Now, a year later, Daniel 4, verse 29, we hear this. Twelve months later, you would think, and get this disturbing vision, he's had a, a, a dream 32 years ago, and he at least now isn't lopping, you know, threatening to lop Daniel off when he can't figure out the dream. And, you know, you'd figure he's like, okay, we got good counsel. No, no, a year later, 12 months later, as the king was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon, he said, is not this the great Babylon what God has given me? Nope. I have built. I have built as the royal residence by my mighty power for the glory of my majesty. Pride. Arrogance. Is he a tree that brings peace for all that is around him? Is he a safe dwelling for, for the birds to find rest? No. It's about him and him alone. And as the vision told us and reality sets in, even as the words were on his lip of lips, a voice came from heaven. This is what is decreed for you, King Nebuchadnezzar. Your royal authority has been taken from you. You will be driven away from people and will live with the wild animals. You'll eat grass like the ox. Seven times will pass by for you until you acknowledge that the Most High is sovereign over all the kingdoms on earth and gives them to anyone he wishes. Right? This is a phrase that's repeated over and over in this chapter. God is saying, I gifted this to you. I'm the giver, not you. I'm the king, not you. And immediately what had been said about Nebuchadnezzar was fulfilled. He was driven away from people and ate grass like the ox. His body was drenched with dew of heaven until his hair grew like the feathers of an eagle and his nails like the claws of a bird. How many of you can say, yeah, amen, right on, you take that, brother. Woo. Right? Don't we thirst sometimes for a little retribution, a little payback? If I was the early community, knowing that this was the guy who handed it to me, yeah. You got yours. It's funny how when Nebuchadnezzar's pride, right, he, he, he's looking sideways. He looks down at his kingdom. A lot of times our own pride steps in. We do a lot of the same thing, right? We look sideways. We're not looking up. We're looking across. We're looking down on people. Our pride steps in. Yeah, get him. You don't deserve God's love. You aren't worthy of being saved. You aren't worthy of giving a chance to change. Contention. That God loved Nebuchadnezzar. The scripture continues in verse 34. At the end of that time. So God makes good on this. At the end of the time. I, Nebuchadnezzar. Remember this is Nebuchadnezzar writing in chapter 4. He's recounting this story. He's giving a decree to all the land as we heard at the very beginning. Praising God. As the king of heaven, I, Nebuchadnezzar, what? Raised my eyes towards heaven. He stopped looking sideways, stopped looking down, and he looks up. Because when we look up, when we look at God, our perspective changes. The king of the world has a tendency to rearrange how we look at things. We may question if God is here too, but it's in looking at God that we see and declare he is here too. Right? He looks up, he raises his eyes towards heaven, and what? My sanity was restored. He said, then I praised the Most High. Here's the King of Kings in the land saying, no, I praised the Most High. I'm not it, but he is. I honored and glorified him who lives forever. His dominion is an eternal dominion. His kingdom endures from generation to generation. This is what God wanted from Nebuchadnezzar. And finally, Nebuchadnezzar has given it back to him. The praise he so deserves. All the peoples of the earth are regarded as nothing. He does as he pleases with the powers of heaven and the peoples of the earth. No one can hold back his hand or say to him, what have you done? Well, at the same time that my sanity was restored, 
My honor, my honor and splendor were returned to me for the glory of my kingdom. My advisors and nobles sought me out, and I was restored to my throne and became even greater than before. See, the reality, though, wasn't him becoming greater. It was the fact that I was restored, right? His proclamation is about the king of heaven, not about him being king of the world again. He's saying, listen, this God restored me. This God was merciful to me. This God gave me a second chance. He knows it's probably been a thousand times over. But he goes, God restored me. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and exalt and glorify the king of heaven because everything he does is right and his ways are just. And those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. Right? So you're saying God showed this guy? He showed you mercy? He showed you? He restored you? That's what you're saying? And Nebuchadnezzar, you're saying God showed you mercy and restored you. Right, Paul reminds us in what sometimes can be a difficult chunk of Scripture, Romans 9 through 11. But let me summarize those three verses. It's about the sovereignty of God. God has the ability to do whatever he so chooses. And it just so happens in Romans 9 through 11 that his choice was to bring salvation through Jesus Christ. Okay, a little summary of Romans 9 through 11. Can get a little confusing, but, but that's it. In Romans 9, though, we hear these words. For he, God, says to Moses, this is Paul, an apostle of Jesus, saying this. For he, God, says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy. I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. It does not, therefore, depend on human desire or effort, but on God's mercy. God reminds us, and this is the tension that God loved Nebuchadnezzar, huh? That God shows, shows mercy on whomever God decides to show mercy. And it has no association or bearing based on my goodness. That how good or bad I am does not dictate nor, nor, nor diminish the love of God. That God can love even the craziest of people that exist. And that's challenging to me. It challenges my own pride. It challenges that own, my own space where I look sideways. I say, what are you talking about, Willis? No, no, no. God, you only show people mercy and grace. It, it, only the people that I like and I think are worthwhile, but not those who I don't. And especially not my enemy. You can't do that, God. Right, but then we fall into the same sin Nebuchadnezzar fell into just in a different way. Because at the end of the day, it's about me. Right? Nebuchadnezzar made his life about him. God wanted to change his heart, change his life, and show him a different God, a different one who has created his life, who put him in place, who has shown him mercy every step of the way, even in the midst of him being what some may consider the worst person in the world. So I wonder this morning as we deal with that tension God loved Nebuchadnezzar. Who are the Nebuchadnezzars in your life that seem to be beyond God's mercy? Can you think about those Nebuchadnezzars? You know, in this time, maybe it's the, the person running for president on the other side. Right? Maybe it's a governor of our state. We, we hear this. We see this. Listen, we had a freaking militia try to, can you, this is messed up, folks. I don't care what side of the aisle you're on. That's messed up. <laughs> Why? Because we start putting ourselves in place of God. So who are the Nebuchadnezzars? We, we all have them. I have them. And how does your own pride affect how you think, feel, and act towards them? Right? Because often my pride stands in the way of love. Oftentimes my pride stands in the way of extending mercy and grace. Oftentimes my pride doesn't allow me to pray for, to seek the salvation of, to look and hope. It keeps me turned inward instead of outward. 
So that's the tension for us today. But the good news, I said the good news is God loved Nebuchadnezzar. Well, let's take it back to Daniel 4, 36 to 37. Let's look again at his proclamation, his declaration. So he starts saying, whole world, I want the whole world to hear this. God is God, I am not. At the same time, when my sanity was restored, my honor and splendor were returned to me for the glory of my kingdom. My advisors and nobles sought me out, and I was restored to my throne, became even greater than before. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and exalt and glorify the king of heaven. Right? This is the last thing we hear him ever say in the book of Daniel. You want to know the common characters in Daniel 1 through 4? God and Nebuchadnezzar. Not Daniel, not Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. The only two people who show up in every chapter consistently is God and Nebuchadnezzar. While the book is about Daniel, in the first four chapters, God's got a message to us through who? Nebuchadnezzar. Not necessarily Daniel. It's not just dare to be a Daniel, no. Because God is showing us through Nebuchadnezzar. Something about ourselves. Now, I, Nebuchadnezzar, what? Praise and exalt and glorify the king of heaven because everything he does is right. All his ways are just. And those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. If we've lived with that tension, we've seen our own pride, then guess what? Why is God's mercy on Nebuchadnezzar good news? Because he is me. We're him. Why does God show mercy to Nebuchadnezzar? Because if we're honest with ourselves, we're not all that unlike him. We may try to be Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And I say, yeah, amen. Be a witness for God. Be a witness for his goodness. But guess what? Who's the witness for God's goodness in this chapter? Nebuchadnezzar. Was it because he had it all together? No, it was because he was the worst of the worst. And God raised him up. That God's mercy and grace actually maybe has a stronger testimony when I had zero to do with it. Which, by the way, I have zero to do with. And we hear this from the book of Titus. Remind the people. This is why it's good news. Remind the people to be subject to rulers and authorities. To be obedient. To be ready to do whatever is good. To slander no one. To be peaceable and considerate. To always be gentle toward everyone. If I'm looking sideways at somebody, there's no way that I'm going to be gentle towards them. If I'm looking down upon them, if I think that I'm better than, if I think I'm the center of the world, this, the first two verses are already going to be a challenge. See, at one time we too were foolish. Do you hear that? At one time we too. We too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. But, right, here's the good news, but when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, he saved us. Just like he saved Nebuchadnezzar. He saved us, not because of righteous things we had done. But because of his what? Mercy. Mercy is, he, we deserve the smackdown. We deserve his judgment and he refrains from giving it to us. And it goes hand in hand with his unmerited favor. None of this can possibly be earned. We had zero bearing on it. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by what? His Holy Spirit. Himself. Whom he poured out on us generally generously through who? Jesus Christ, our Savior. So that, having been justified by what? His grace. We might become heirs having a hope of eternal life. This is, Paul is saying to T Titus, he's saying to us, Daniel 4 is telling us, this is a trustworthy saying, and I want you to stress these things. Paul's saying, man, if I can't get this across enough, then, then listen up, this is a trustworthy saying, so that those who have trusted in God may be careful. Hey, what's our part? We got to be careful to devote ourselves to do, doing what is good, right? These things are excellent and profitable for everyone. And the only way I can do good is when I realize the depth of what God has done for me, right? 
that I'm maybe not all too unlike Nebuchadnezzar. And that's good news. Because if God could take his hardened heart and break down that wall, oh, he can break mine. If God can, can, can not only humble him, but lift him up, God can do the same for me. He can do the same for, for my friends and my family. That This God is merciful to whomever he chooses to show mercy. And by the way, the sun shines on the good and the evil. The rain falls on the good and the evil. He desires that all are saved. This is good news for us. Ian DeGood, who writes on Daniel, says this as we contemplate Christ, right? Because it's in Christ that we see this more fully. Nebuchadnezzar was, was able to have an interaction with Daniel. Daniel kind of becomes that, that intermediary, becomes like Christ to him. Speaking a truth, opening him up to a reality that he didn't know. Helping show him the way. Right? But as we contemplate this Christ who, is, who has been the mercy of God, who has been the grace of God, once humbled, now exalted, we are reminded over and over of the profound fact that the only thing we contribute to our salvation is utter depravity. We say this in the table network that I'm a part of, all you got to offer God is your death. Death to yourself. It's the hardest thing to give. I like me. See, don't you too? Oh, we all, right? There's something about, I, I, I like to be Nebuchadnezzar strolling around going, yeah. And I work for trying to get my name and, and have my fame. I've got no problem calling people idiots. And it reminds me very quickly, I can do nothing to earn God's favor. But listen to the last part of this. Yet at the same time, we are also reminded, foul as we are, it's okay. It's okay to understand our depravity. It's okay to understand that we have nothing to offer. Why? Because we are far more loved than we ever dared to hope. If I have nothing to give, that means he's given everything. This is the declaration of Nebuchadnezzar in chapter 4. This is why he's willing to put his whole name on the line to make a declaration to all of the rest of the world. I had nothing. I was an utter dog, literally. <laughs> I lost it. I was eating grass for crying out loud. <laughs> but when I was in that place, God loved me. And lifted me up. God loves us far more than we could ever dare hope or imagine. So yeah, God loved Nebuchadnezzar. And it's good news. Because so often I'm him. So my last question for us today is how does knowing God's mercy impact you personally? Right? How does wrestling with that, what, what's the reality of that mean for you? And then how can it better help you show up in the lives of those you encounter each and every day? Because that's where Daniel is a model for us. Did you pick up on that throughout the text? I mean, man, I wish this was for your enemy. I, like, he had compassion upon Nebuchadnezzar. He was living into what Paul was talking about, pray for your leaders. Somehow, some way, he was there when Nebuchadnezzar called, and he was like, man, he felt for him. The only way that happens is because he knows the goodness of God. The only way I can feel for others is if I have a proper perspective of who I am. The only way I can love my neighbor is if I know the love that has grounded me and saved me that I can extend to them. It's not because I try harder. It's actually because I realize that no amount of trying could ever earn that mercy and grace. That I'm helpless, but I am not hopeless. Let me say that one more time. I may be helpless, but I am not hopeless because the God of the world has stepped in in my helplessness and has offered me hope and has offered you hope and has offered us life. That is the unmerited favor of God. That is the mercy of God that 
falls on us every day over and over and over again. Praise be to God for that good news. So is there tension today? Absolutely. I still wrestle. And I wrestle watching debates. I wrestle... And I look sideways more often than I probably should. I'm looking down on some people and some things more often than I should. And I, and I do keep striving against that sin in my own life. You know, we still hear the, the call of Daniel, just re repent, change the way you're showing up. But what it took Nebuchadnezzar to change the way that he showed up and what changes how we show up is a recognition. But I can't do it on my own. And I've never been able to do it on my own. I'm at the mercy of God. And there is no better hands to be in. Amen? Let's pray. God, thank you. Thank you for showing us your mercy, your unmerited favor, your grace. But again, I admit, Lord, that so often I am looking sideways at people. I'm, I'm wrestling with the fact that you could love Nebuchadnezzar. I wrestle with praying for my enemies. I wrestle with those who come after me, those who utilize Christianity as a tool in our culture, or those who judge me before I ever had a chance to show up. The funny thing, though, is I, I, I then do the same <laughs> What I want from others, I often don't extend to them. Lord, Nebuchadnezzar had pride, absolutely. Thought he was a self-made man. But in so many ways, I think and feel the same. Lord, in the, in the beauty of your graces, we can actually be honest with you and acknowledge and see those things. One of the, one of the first things to repentance is just understanding that's our reality it's okay. It's not okay that it's there, but it is okay to confess it, to come before you and just say, Lord, and I'm struggling with this. This is, I, I can't seem to shake it. It's in those places, Lord, where we can actually begin to then see and experience that you're a God who isn't determined. Your love isn't determined or dictated by, by how good I did today or I'm doing right now that you show mercy and love on whom you will show mercy and love, that you cause your sun and rain to be on the, both the good, the evil, that you, the extent of your grace and mercy we could never fathom. And it is all on you and zero of it is on us. We just simply need to trust in what you do, what you've done. So Lord, may we be reminded of that today. May that be the cause in our heart that, that by your spirit transforms us and changes us as we act in peaceable ways towards others, in gracious and kind ways towards others, sometimes in merciful ways towards others. As we speak the truth in love, yes, Lord, we can be truthful and loving at the same time, but we can only do it with your help. God, thank you for those mercies that again we're reminded of are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. May we be a people deeply anchored in that truth. While it may be a little confusing and frustrating sometimes, may it be the good news on which we stand. Lord, we thank you, we praise you, we honor you in the name of Jesus and all God's people said, amen. Amen. Please stand and sing with us.
our hope and salvation, Christ alone. Not my goodness, not even my badness. It's the reality and truth of what he has done. And if, listen, if God can save us, don't you think God can change us? Why is it that we think that all of a sudden then somehow he could save us, but he is, he is not possible through his spirit to transform us? The message of grace is radical. Because we believe that God has rescued us from the devil and we believe he has the ability to transform our lives. So let's trust in that. Let's put our hope in him who is able, not hope in ourselves who are not. And then just show up. Put your faith each day in what he does, what he can do. Join him in that. Knowing that as we succeed, as we fail, God will keep doing his work of breathing new life, pouring out new wine in, through us, around us. Because it's his reputation on the line. Listen, and he wants the world to know his goodness. He wants the world to be returned back to him. So you live in this truth that God is for you, not against you. That yes, God loved Nebuchadnezzar and God loves you. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord cause his face to shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance, his smile upon you and give you his peace. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, all God's children said, amen.